Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women, comedy and business. My name's Katie and this is my mum, Karen. <laughs> Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. Mama said, Mama said, Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this. My mama said. So today we have the beautiful Aisha Hazarika MBE with us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm having such a nice time. So I've done my back in, so I've just been to a chiropractor <laughs> practitioner, whatever they call it. So yeah. I've just cracked my back. So you're oh, feeling really? nice and loosey-goosey today I then? I feel like I'm in agony, to be honest. I feel I need like a sort of a stiff drink and some codeine. Yeah. <laughs> and an epidural. Well, let's start with this and then we'll see what happens. Uh, so Aisha is a comedian, broadcaster, political commentator, and a former political advisor to the senior Labour Party politicians. Your show this year is called Girl on Girl. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it's about? So it's not a sort of lesbian flow show. I have to apologise to some of the men in the front row. Look slightly disappointed by the whole thing. Mm. It's about how I find that when I do a lot of TV and radio debates now, particularly on feminism, Mm. I used to always be up against men, but now it's almost like the media love pitching women against each other to have a big fight about feminism. So every time there's like a tiny little bit of advancement, let's say on the gender pay gap figures, instead of having, you know, just people saying, look, how do we fix it? They always almost set up like a false debate and they get a woman to come on and say, there's no such thing as the gender pay gap. It's all in your head. You've all just made it up. There's no such thing as sexism. Me too's all gone too far. And men are the victims now. And so my show is all about how women are pitted against each other. Do you think women are more vicious when it comes to arguing against each other? I think they can be. Mm. And the thing that... I get annoyed about is right I'm not at all saying that women should have the same view of course they shouldn't and men don't but you don't see men wound up on telly to have big fights about how much money they earn Mm -hmm. or how much power they have Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean they're allowed to have debates about the big issues of the day Mm -hmm. we have to fight each other just about that absolute base level kind of stuff and that's what sort of winds me up yeah sure sure and you call them discos yeah so that's the other thing they never call these things you call them discos (laughs) the TV and the radio producers call them discos yeah so it's like discussion it's short Ah, so you get this hi it's Poppy from the Today programme do you want to have a disco and you're like oh disco that sounds really nice (laughs) it's not a disco you're getting beaten up by like some right wing commentator called Julia Hartley Brew and you're crying and you've got bruises all over your body afterwards and you're like this was not any fun this is not a disco yeah exactly I'm just thinking about your former career as a comedian because you started as a comedian that's right did you really did you do comedy first many 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 years ago I would come up to Edinburgh doing small gigs Mm -hmm. and it was actually in the semi-final first so yeah yeah Karen was saying yeah so being back when was that when what year was like about 1873 (laughs) (laughs) Um, but comedy was your passion comedy was my passion I always loved comedy and politics Mm. In fact, when I was growing up, I was such a nerd. My favourite TV show was Spitting Image. Yeah, yeah. Because I loved that combination of you got an education about politics, sure. but it was really funny as yeah. well at the same time. So I think I've always had that um, in my head. But I used to come and do the festival, like, you know, years ago, 14 years ago. In fact, Zoe Lyons and I did a show 
together years Did ago you? called Two Birds Spoke yeah, I saw you together in the bar last night and I went, oh, I didn't know that they were friends. Yeah, we that shared a flat and we've oh, been really you? good friends. I love it. Yeah, so it's great to see her doing and so well. She's such she's, a great comic. She's so great. She is absolutely standout, one of the best yeah. talents in this country yeah. and she's such a nice human being yeah, at yeah, the yeah, same time it's like Absolutely. you know i always say that the best comics are the nicest people yeah i think you know you have to be nice to be able to to keep doing what you're doing and be heckled and you know yeah. and also i think your um, comedy is one of those things it's there i mean there's so many analogies between comedy yeah. and politics having sort of done the two things but when you've been in politics or comedy for a long time and you get to a certain level, like say was always is or whatever, your character comes through. You can't fake it that much when you're at that level. Your true character comes through. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a nice person, that really, really shines. I think that's, you know, often the, the comedians that, you know, have got a warmth about them are the ones that get a huge, loyal following yeah. and they they obviously come and see them because they're really funny but they almost feel like they're friends yeah, as well exactly. you've got that relationship yeah with you them. just relax watching them on stage as well it's the same with you it's such a lovely feeling to because some comedy shows you can go to and you just feel like on edge and i don't i find that really difficult <laughs> it's the to bitter watch. comics it's the ones that that complain all the time and mm. they're and all their material is about complaining about life and yeah. things yeah. and it's so refreshing to see and i think women are you know, when you go into comedy as a woman, you've got to be really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you and and I suppose that's um, life, isn't it? That women yeah. have to be better at everything. Politics, they do. media, yeah. law, business, everything. But I also think that the 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 great thing that is happening in comedy at the moment with so many more women, and I'm so delighted that the Gilded Balloon has got so many brilliant, brilliant women. Yeah. Um, and to be part of that is, I think the type of comedy I think it's redefining what comedy yeah. is because comedy used to be like there was a certain way of doing it a show would be structured in the same way because there's so many women that they're telling their stories and anything can be funny and mm-hmm. comedy is often about storytelling mm-hmm. so one of the shows that I was so moved by was Louisa um, Omelin's show when did you see that? I oh saw did you that... see one last Saturday? With, yes with Ed yes, Miliband yeah, <laughs> what Ed Miliband came in? no he came to see the show yeah. I he came on stage no, no. <laughs> it was, I, we went to it and it was just amazing because it was like, wow, this is so powerful because it was unbelievably funny, mm-hmm. like proper, ha ha, laugh out funny. Yeah. But you're like, this woman has shared this amazing story about her life and it will be something that so many, you know, men and women, but particularly women who yeah. often have to navigate the NHS if their mum gets sick or oh, you sure, know, whatever. Sure. And I just was like, wow, that is that shows you how far like comedy is. Yeah, it, she's incredibly was... vulnerable on stage as well, which is, and you know, I don't know how she's done it. I'm hoping to that we're going to interview her as well. But there's something about that vulnerability yeah. on stage, which is, you know, you just it makes it all the more give, yeah. pa- powerful, exactly, doesn't it? Exactly, that kind of fragility because you know. I mean, I spoke to her afterwards, and she was saying. This is a really hard show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me yeah. to do every night. It's yeah. a really hard show to do. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course. So how did you get into politics? What happened from comedy to well, politics? Or were you kind actually, of doing... can you be funny in politics? That's the thing, because if you're public speaking, mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you're you're actually talking to men a lot, they probably don't see the funny side of things. I don't know. So I think humour really helped me in politics and I think humour 
can be a really powerful yeah, tool yeah. for communication. Mm-hmm. And politics is the art of communication in yeah. its most kind of simple, raw kind of form. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of not at the yeah. moment. I think we can all, all agree moment, on yeah. a cross-party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, certainly, so my, my sort of, like, kind of, sort of slightly windy career path was that um, I was a civil servant then I had had this kind of weird yearning to do stand-up, sort of mm. like my whole teenage into kind of early 20s. And somebody saw a course advertised. I was working at the Department of Trade and Industry as a sort of press officer. And somebody saw a course advertised and said, right, you've got to do this course. So I did this course, and it was the same course that Rod Gilbert did. And What uh, was the course? Was it was the one? Amused Moose course, oh, right, that one, yeah. um, which Logan Murray and <clears throat> Hills Jago used to do. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing... So I had this weird, like, double life. So by day, I was, uh, like, all in my suit yeah. at the Department of Trade and Industry, being, like, a very diligent government press officer. Yeah, yeah. And then I would go and change in the, the loose at, like, sort of six o'clock into my jeans and my sort of scruffy T-shirt. Yeah. And I would meet some comedians in a car park somewhere. <laughs> and we would, like, go off to, sort of, Manchester or Devon yeah, yeah. and do a gig and I'd come back at three o'clock in the morning and get up to work and it was like my secret sort yeah, of double yeah, life wow. but I found that having that um, ability to for example um, do uh, to, 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 to use humour was was great for me and actually gave me a bit of a USP because politics this will come as no surprise to you <laughs> it's still very male dominated yeah. oh really and I know who knew Karen who knew but particularly the backroom jobs which don't, people don't talk about a lot so you see the front of house you mm-hmm. see the elected politicians but there is an amazing amount of power behind the throne sure. and there's loads of, of advisors and stuff and they are amazing jobs yeah. because you've got a huge amount of influence you know you're shaping speeches policy strategy all of that stuff mm-hmm. And so there weren't many women doing that, and that's what I really wanted to kind of focus on. Sure. But because I had, you know, the ability to write jokes, and I was quite a good speech writer, because I think if you're a, co- a comedy writer, you're quite a good writer anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that helped me get an in to doing things like preparing leaders for Prime Minister's questions, which is one of the biggest moments of the week. Sure. And it's actually quite like a comedy club, because it's the only thing that you go into where you get heckled. Well, yeah. it is real heckling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it's quite vicious at times isn't it and it's one of those things where it feeds off the energy you give out so when yeah. you walk in there at the dispatch box it's like being at late and live yeah yeah sure you know, if you give out fear then everyone picks up on that fear if you know you've got yeah. a good couple of lines prepared it gives you a confidence mm-hmm. so that became a big part of my job sure and that was great because that gave me quite a good position you know within the the party and I was very close to quite a few of the leaders worked for Gordon Brown, Harriet Harman, Ed Miliband, and in fact I've just written a book about um, the history of Prime Minister's Questions and how you do it. It's called oh, wow. Punch and Judy Politics. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so that's my first book, which I'm really, really proud Has it of. been published already? Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll send you guys oh, a, a, a copy. Yeah. And hopefully you'll enjoy it. It's quite accessible, but it also gives you quite a, a kind of a, what's it like being in the room? What's sure. it like preparing these big leaders for this big sort of joust? And again, the parallels with comedy are very, very clear. You know, you've you've got to anticipate if someone's going to heckle you. Yeah. You've got to have something to say. You've got to bang it out quite quickly. You can't have spare words. You can't be too yeah. woolly. So, yeah, I think... But when you write speeches, can you put your view across? 
or are you told how to write it or what to write? So mm. I think it would depend on who I was I was working with. So I when I worked for Harriet and and Ed, um, I had a very close relationship with them. So often we would discuss the. So say we were going to write a speech. Yeah. We would actually sit down and have quite a long brainstorming session beforehand, saying, "What?" Like I would say to them, "What? What do you want to say? What mm-hmm. is the message? What is the thing that you want people to take away?" Now, sometimes if it was a policy announcement, let's say with funding or a particular thing about the law, you'd have to get all that checked to make sure that we could afford it and it was sure. legally okay. So there was a certain amount of checking you'd have to do. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, and I think this is a big message for whether you're in politics, business, whatever you are, if you're a leader, you've got to know what you want to say mm-hmm. and you've got to be quite clear about it. And I think the people that swither around quite a lot mm-hmm. are the people that don't succeed. So, for example, Harriet would always have quite a clear idea about what she wanted to do, sure. particularly on things like women's issues. Now, you might disagree with her, but she would always be right. Like, this, yeah, this is what is, I want to do. Then my job would be, if, it, if I thought the message would go down really, really badly or people would hate it, I would say that to her. Yeah. And then sometimes we could maybe agree on a sort of a compromise position. But ultimately, for me, I was an advisor. It was their thing. And it was their decision their ultimately, decision, um, sure. and I would help yeah. them shape it. And I think, like, Ed was interesting because Ed was much more kind of unsure about what he wanted. So he would start off with like an idea, mm-hmm. then he would almost focus group it with like so many different people. He'd end up compromising to the point where he wasn't quite sure what he wanted what to it, say. Yeah. And I think that affected him in the end because he's such a great, he's such a nice guy. I mean, you've yeah. met him and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think he sort of, and I think that's one reason why, whether you like him or not, Corbyn has done quite well. <coughs> sure. Because he's just got quite a clear, he's like, this is my mission, this is what I want to talk about. And I think that is quite an important lesson for... I think um, Gordon Brown must have been fasc- fascinating because he is such a lovely, intelligent man. But he cannot deliver, you know, when he talks. So I don't know if you wrote for him, but um, I, I felt for him because I thought he was... Well, you didn't think that his personality and well, he was, didn't was come coming across. across. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, I think the thing with Gordon was that his advisors... And I, I mean, I did bits and pieces for him, but I was probably still more junior at that sort of point. That's right, at that time. Um, I think the mistake that was made was they tried to sort of turn him into a slightly Tony Blairish person. Yeah, which he's and absolutely he not. Yes. And that was his great appeal, which mm-hmm. was that he wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. we, people wanted something different. Different. And weirdly, I think they tried to turn him into this kind of slip media performer, and that wasn't him. The best speech Gordon ever made, one of the best speeches, was actually right towards the end of the referendum campaign, and he did this speech, which was all his own words. I think nobody really helped him. He delivered it, and it was like it was kind of all-time religion. It was like Gordon back to. It was almost like watching a sort of somebody giving a sermon mm. in church. Yeah, right. It was almost like quite you yeah. know the rhythm of his voice, sure. and it was not a kind of fancy sound bites. It was just this raw kind of emotion, and um, and I remember watching that thinking, that's what they should have just let him be more like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I think people would have. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's a shame that he had to come back to Scotland and <laughs> retreat and everything because 
he was good. And a lot of integrity. I mean, yes. he doesn't really mm. get the credit. I think history will judge him much more kindly than we do now because mm-hmm. he really did stop this country after that financial crisis. I mean, mm-hmm. it could have gone off a massive mm-hmm. like cliff right. edge. Yeah. See, now you're, now you're going over my no. head. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that I like him. No, he's <laughs> a, but, and you're right. He's a great man. How, how has it been... How can you compare being a woman in the comedy industry to being... Obviously, we're women in the comedy industry, so that's our experience, but how does being a woman in the comedy industry compare to being a woman on the political landscape, basically? I think there's a lot of, of similarities, similarities because I think politics, like comedy, is dominated by quite a lot of men, mm. a lot of swagger, a yes. lot of confidence, a lot of, you know, chutzpah and all Male that kind of ego. Thing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I think a lot of women in politics are really, really good, and I think they have to almost be better than the men to have the guts to get into it in the first place bit like comedy sure but I think they can often sometimes have huge imposter syndrome mm-hmm. yeah and where you're just like gosh you know am I good enough to be here will every you know do I fit in am I as funny as the men am I as sure. good as the men and I think again like um, comedy sometimes the public look at what a politician should look like and even without consciously realising it, just think about a man. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's the same way in comedy. Yeah, you know, sometimes same, yeah. a woman walks on stage, it's like a, it's yeah, a slight yeah. free song. Even for women, it's like, oh my God, there's some ovaries on stage. Yeah, What's yeah. going to happen now? Yeah, yeah. And so I think you have to work twice as hard both, yeah. to be taken seriously. And then, of course... I think they're judged as well. Yeah. Uh, a woman is judged much more than a man is you know I mean for example if she puts on a sexy dress that mm-hmm. the girlfriends and the boyfriends the girlfriends say are you looking at her you know yeah, yeah. that kind of thing as well yeah. as they you know, they're, they're completely well as... studied yeah you know I totally agree it's like there's a kind of penalty either way so in politics it's exactly the same if you're so if you're if you're badly dressed and you're ugly, according mm. to the media, then you're ugly and ugh. Yeah, yeah. Same with like kind of comedy. Yeah. But then if you're too attractive, it's like, oh, you're distracting and yeah. you can't be taken seriously. And yeah. you're sort of... And do you remember, also in, in comedy, I was probably not saying that in politics, there's a terrible thing about motherhood. So if you don't have kids in politics, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and then there's you, you're really? cold hearted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if you do have kids, it's like, oh, well, can you, can you handle the job? Yeah, yeah, you, you, got got time. Like, you yeah. haven't got time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember that time when uh, Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May had a meeting and the whole thing was about their legs? Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that was terrible. Awful. What I was going to ask you then as well is what's the relationship like between women in the comedy industry compared to politics? Because is, is there more camaraderie between women in comedy and are they more supportive or do you still feel like there is some, you know, some, some sass <laughs> between each other, basically? I think it just depends on the individuals. My experience of being on the comedy circuit, particularly like back from that time, you know, 14, yeah. 15 years ago mm-hmm. was that because there were not very many of us yeah. there was actually quite a lot of camaraderie yeah, yeah. so there's loads of women who like I consider mates from way back like obviously mm-hmm. Zoe, uh, Kerry Godleman you yeah. know people like that and we were all really really supportive of each other um, and I hope that still I feel the, like I, I, I would agree that, it's, that it is still going and they yeah, we all, they all seem to support each other and I think it's a great thing. There's a real community to women in comedy, I would say. And I think as well, it's just... 
it's nice as well, I think, for women just to be able to be like, you know, you've got to put a certain kind of game face. Like when people go, how are you doing? Amazing, smashing it, yeah. ripped the roof off. What you say is my music, like went to bed, cried with yeah, a yeah. bat of wine, yeah, feeling exactly. really insecure. And it's just sometimes really nice, particularly with your female like yeah. comedian friends just to be like do you know what I had an absolute stinker oh, yeah. of a gig be able to be honest with each yeah, other yeah and they can and then you know it's just good to sort of talk about where sometimes with your male friends I mean you can do it but you sort of just feel a little bit more you've got like slightly have a yeah but do you think there's a healthy comedy scene at the moment or do you think it's getting more difficult because I kind of wonder where it's going mm. you know I wonder because there's so of- many it's just changed so much since you were doing it, hasn't it? I mean, the competitiveness and, you know, I mean, when I started, the, the camaraderie of the comedians together was... And it was actually much more political in the 80s. You'll probably yeah. um, remember there was a lot much more in, in the Thatcher years. Of Definitely. Much more political commentating, whereas there's n- not nearly as much as that now. It's all about... You know, I mean, it it has changed. I mean, Mm -hmm. the uniqueness of some of the comics is great, and that's what we want. We want them to be individual, uh, and it's sort of gone full circle from... You know, maybe... Is there quite a lot of uh, political commentating now? It's, It's one of those things where I think... So, there's a couple of things. I think, first of all... The sheer amount of comedy that there is 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 quite. It's a good thing, but it is also hard yeah, it's as well. Isn't it? Yes. And I think the days of coming up to Edinburgh, getting your little room somewhere, and it being affordable and achievable, mm-hmm. is it, getting. It's more of a pipe dream for people because it is just so expensive now, yeah. and that is a that is a big sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of politics, there are people talking about politics a lot there's a lot of brexit as you can imagine because that's such a big probably less so than last year last year there's probably a bit more brexit around sure my slight concern about politics and this is weird because i am a left-wing person Mm -hmm. i think political comedy is quite mono i think it's quite kind of radio four lefty sort of kind of thing which is which is fine that's my particular cup of tea yeah but I don't know if that is kind of reflective of where the country, the country is because we kind of know that this country is quite sort of divided. Mm. So there's someone like Jeff Norcott who does more stuff on the the right of um, comedy, which mm. I think is, and he's great, and I think that's quite sort of healthy. Mm-hmm. I, I just sort of think I would like to see a little bit more diversity sure. in the, not mm. just, I mean, obviously not just gender and race and all that kind of stuff, but class yeah. I think is a big thing Definitely. just different points of view yeah. um, I was talking with some of my um, comedy friends last night and you know this whole thing on free speech which is a big issue at the moment mm. in terms of people getting shut down for stuff but actually quite a few of my comedy friends were saying there are things that and they're not massively offensive but I would feel really nervous about about, kind about of say, saying stuff now because I don't want to have, I don't want to offend Anyone, people yeah, but then yeah. part of comedy is is offending yeah. um, and also tackling the big issues yeah. of, of the day. Yeah. I, I sort of feel that as well, because com- there's such a big f- um, feed through from Edinburgh to getting a TV show or getting sure. a radio show, Edinburgh's like the kind of feeding mm-hmm. ground for all of that. 
again the people who are the gatekeepers to get into TV and radio are quite mono as yeah. well in terms of what they look for yeah yes and I think the comedy the, the variety of comedy that you can get let's say at the festival that doesn't get converted into what most people see on their television yeah. screens no, not totally. or hear on radio and I think it would be nice to have that a bit more Just, mixed up yeah a bit more diverse absolutely um, what what do you see your future as because it's so interesting that you come here and do stand-up mm-hmm. is it to learn more for your political career such a good maybe it's just a cry for help <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like my breakdown in public um, I think I would do, you ever stand um, so I get that's a slot I, I did actually stand in I stood like three times to try and get selected to be a Labour candidate um, but was unsuccessful so I kind of feel that is a bit, of a, bit of a signal I <laughs> but I think part of it as well was to be fair because I've been living in London for quite a while and the SNP was in the ascent and I think there was a very strong sense of nationalism and being Scottish and if you're a Scottish you had to be here to prove that you're a Scottish so I can kind of see that I definitely wouldn't rule it out in the future but I think politics is really quite messed up at the moment. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah. You and Eddie Izzard. <laughs> I know. I'm in good company. I'm in very, very good company. It's a badge of honour. It's yeah, a badge yeah. of honour. Maybe we're not mad enough to be selected for politics sort of right now. Yeah. But what I'm doing now, I find really, really interesting. I feel really lucky to do it because I've got a nice mix of different things. So I can do, I obviously do a lot of political commentating, write about it in newspapers and magazines, do a lot of stuff on telly. Mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff on international politics now for CNN which is great because you forget that there's a really big world out there with lots of exciting but potentially terrifying things of as course. well so it allows you to draw, join the dots then the stand up stuff I think is a really nice complement to all of that because I my shows are always something political mm-hmm. or social so I'm yeah. trying to like make people laugh but also give them a point of view yeah, or educate message, them so yeah. you know what I mean and I think it all kind of cross fertilises and also I think doing stand-up is still, out of everything I've ever done, it is the most difficult thing. And it never really? stops being difficult. Apart mm. from Question Time, which was horrific. Oh, God, I can imagine. Yeah. But stand-up is the hardest thing. And for me, still being able to, to try to do it, I mean, I don't know how, how good I am or anything, but I, I give it a good go. Mm-hmm. It almost, I almost think do I can do... Do they laugh? Yes, they yeah, do. Well, there you are, then. <laughs> they do laugh. There you are. Sure, they do laugh. But I think it makes me feel quite powerful mm-hmm. as a woman mm-hmm. and quite mm-hmm. powerful because sometimes when yeah. I'm about to go on news night or something and I get that little twang of imposter syndrome beforehand and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I'm about to go on with some really clever man from the Times or some, yeah. or some Lord or some this, that, the next thing. And I just have a little flashback and I'll think, I rocked it. Yeah. at the gilded balloon yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can do it I can do it if I can make a room full of people laugh uh, yeah. I can go into this TV because studio and I can do it yeah yeah am it's I right in saying I might I, I, I felt it a lot that men tend to try and make you feel small so that they that you can't argue against them yes you know so they and and that kind of thing on question time it must be you know Infuriating. Well, yeah, and and what I do is I lose my temper. You get angry, you know, yeah. and then you you know you lose well, your. When I, when I did question, it was, I mean, I've got various strategies to do to do this because normally you just get 
yeah, you get a lot of patronising, you get a lot mm-hmm. of men like sort of just telling you you don't know what you, you're yeah, talking about. Mansplaining. Oh, mansplaining. <laughs> My favourite one was this, this very posh white man telling me that he had a better understanding of the problems that Muslim women were facing oh than I thought that was mansplaining on a whole new that level. Is, yeah. But when yeah. I did Question Time, I actually got heckled by somebody in the audience, this, this man who would not shut up and he would really? not stop shouting at me. And then I think my stand-up just kicked in because I just snapped and I just slammed right back at him. Good yeah. on you. And the entire audience applauded and he shut up. Yeah. But I was like, at that point, I mean, I was shaking yeah, yeah. afterwards. I was shaking. But I just God. thought, thank God I had done had stand-up. Because, that, yeah. you know, in terms of actually people said after me, gosh, you were, you were able to come back at him so fast. But yeah. that they're the kind of skills. But the sad thing about it is, I mean, look, if sometimes you have to snap sometimes if somebody is just you know riling you and riling you i think as as a general rule as a woman it's better not to just go nuts on tv or whatever it's mm-hmm. not great for you no. the general generally no, absolutely but there comes a point if someone is going to push you you've got to push back mm-hmm. yeah but you try and do it little and often i mean if mm-hmm. you're just kicking off the whole time on tv then you know i think that's not a a good look but you have to sort of pick your moments I mean the other one I just couldn't help it with was Nigel Farage oh, where I was on oh, oh he would meet anyone oh, no, <laughs> and I just I just lost it I just absolutely lost it with him because he was just outrageous and just this sense of entitlement I know yeah, that's, yeah I think that's the other that, really f- interesting thing about men and, and that kind of para sort of thing so before you probably a bit like before going on a gig mm. or um, when you're in the green room beforehand that's the other thing that's quite interesting often the women who maybe haven't had very much TV experience are sort of slightly, like, almost making themselves as physically smaller. small as possible just yeah. in the corner. Whereas the the guys are holding court, Dominating yeah. the room, yeah. Dominating, even before they've... They're almost trying to um, assert primacy yeah. on a really basic sort of human, almost animal level mm-hmm. before they go on. And you're like, ah! <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak yeah, in yeah, the yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. And they're like big alpha man man spreading and all this kind of thing so you know but then you've just got and I'm sure you know all this and you'd say this to anyone in comedy you've got to just as hard as it is you've just got to like just put your wee voice in your head going you can't do this but you just got to put it aside and just crack on because half of stuff is just turning up and doing it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we want to ask you to change the subject completely how did your mother influence you in your life was she a big influence in your life? You speak about her, about her during your show, don't you? Yeah. So my mother is was a huge and is a huge influence on my life, as I can see you two. I'd just like to see, obviously this is a podcast you can't see, but Katie and Karen are rocking amazing floral outfits. Yeah, it's like the they've already bit. coordinated mother and daughter style. Exactly. I love it, I love it. <laughs> And um, no, my mum is always a huge inspiration to me and she had a totally different life and, and as Katie says, I talk about this in the show, so she had an arranged marriage when she was 19, she didn't know my dad, um, came over to um, Britain, never, and she'd never been outside her village really in India, sure. so a completely different sort of existence from, from me. But she is a woman of absolute steel, she's super bright, she's super hard working. And she instilled this like ferocious work ethic mm-hmm. in me and also just scared the bejesus out of me for quite a long time <laughs> when I was growing up. But she always used strict, to... Strict, then. Very strict, very, very strict. And she, But she always said to me, look, you know, I've done all this because I do want you to have your choices. Mm-hmm. I want you 
to live the life that you want to, to live. And she always drummed it into my head since I was a wee girl. You've got to be responsible for yourself. Your brain is a really, really huge asset mm -hmm. to you. You can't be reliant on a, a man. You've got to work hard. You've got to work hard. Nothing comes easily in life. And she said, whatever you do, do it brilliantly. Whether mm -hmm. you want to be a, a toilet cleaner or whatever, but yeah. work really bloody hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that was... And, and she, she set a great example to me because my really young memories of her is, you know, beginning quite traditional stay-at-home mum. But she educated herself. She went to night school. Um, she got her qualifications. Wow. So I'd see her in the kitchen cooking the curry, mm -hmm. doing all the cleaning and everything. And then after we had our tea, she would be sat at the kitchen table with her notebook studying. Yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then she worked her way up. She got her um, qualification. And then she got a job in local government. And it was wow. an administrative job. And she was so good at it. She's just um, retired. And it was so lovely because she was so valued by her team and you know I'm so proud of her you know to have come to this country and you know she, like, did she speak English when she yeah she she did speak um English but she had had this very kind of sort of sheltered life and actually one of the things she did do it's interesting she was a big raging row about Muslim women and stuff mm -hmm. she helped she used to help teach more orthodox Muslim women English Oh, really? Because they weren't really allowed to go out and stuff like that, so she would go to their houses and try and help them to oh, learn English and wow. stuff. So she is amazing, and my mum is the sort of woman who would say to me, you know, you can you can do anything. Yeah. Um, but she's also quite strict. She's also, like, always telling me to go on a diet and get married. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> did, you, did you have a big family? What, brother, sister? No, just my mum, my dad and my wee brother. My brother is a um, he's an orthopaedic surgeon so oh, he is mom. in Paisley at the Royal Alexandra Hospital, he works there mm -hmm. um, but he's done, the, so he's been the good son, so yeah. he's become a doctor he's got married, he's provided two grandchildren, oh, fantastic. so he's going to get all the money in the inheritance basically I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a box got, of diet pills yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've got time, you've got time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. there's no hurry <laughs> so do you think that was the main life lesson that's been passed down to you is about worth ethic yes I think that is and, and also just to I think my mum is a, like a lot of women and a lot of immigrant women sure I think the message that my mum has sort of taught me is um, work really really hard don't expect anything handed to you yeah. on a plate mm -hmm. life is tough Life is unfair, and you can, whether it's sometimes the colour of our skin or our background or our gender, whatever, life is just unfair. Yeah. Yes, you can get upset about things, but you have to, you can't just moan the whole time. Mm -hmm. You've got to sort of say, right, I, I, if, I can't get, if I can't get it this way, I'm going to maybe try sure. and go around another way. Yeah. But if you, if you work really, really hard and if you want something, mm -hmm. you might not get everything you want, but yeah. you might well get some of it yeah but the other thing she always said to me was that you you will have a tough time and because I wanted to go to politics and media and all this stuff mm -hmm. she said you will have to sort of be twice as good as everybody yeah and you'll still have really awful moments but you've just got to be you've just got to be tough yeah resilient yeah. and I think that's one of the things that I do think that in this I mean I hate all this snowflake generation thing but 
The one thing I would say is What's that snowflake generation. So it's like people are saying <laughs> Sorry, all the young. Stupid. No, no, no. The people, a lot of people, are kind of saying that um, all young people and everybody are just too sensitive these soft, days. So they're yeah. like we snowflakes are just melting. Oh, the I see. Kind yes. of thing, and I think that is like harsh. But I do think it is important to teach young people that you do have to be that life is quite hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you can't. I often see a lot of young people now in terms of. And it's like they've been told they can have everything they want, yeah. everything in life, and the whole their whole life is social social media or perfect life. Yeah. Everything's perfect, but life is not like that. No, no. And no, particularly as women, you know, what I mean, you've got to be incredibly to be tough, resilient. Yeah. But I think one of the things that we've heard over these podcasts from people is, um, well, women, it has to be said, is that you have to wake up every morning and be passionate about something. Mm-hmm. You know, that what you're doing has, you know, you've got to decide what you're doing. And a lot a lot of younger people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they go to university. I mean, even now, people are saying go to uni- going to university is a waste of time because they can't get anything out yeah, of it. So it is finding your way and believing in, in what you want to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you so, believe in it enough and you're passionate about it enough, then you do develop res- resilience for anyone that's trying to stop being... get to that point. I mean, it's it's not reinventing yourself, but... Re- I mean, we're thinking about the Gilded Balloon here, um, how we're going to go forward with it, because there is so much competition, you know? Mm. I mean, there's there's other venues that can afford to put lights under every single poster, and, you know, yeah. we can't afford to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people sit and have beers and see a big lit-up poster, and that's the show they go to, yes, you know? Yes, of course, of course. So how do we work okay. against that? And I think mm-hmm. I think it's... The word of mouth. Well word. Done. You got it right. Did I get it right? <laughs> I always say it wrong. She always says word so and mouth. My my, um, my mother was Norwegian, so um, so she was first generation um, Norwegian, and she came over when she was seventeen and met my father, who was of a Norwegian family. Ah. So um, in a way, we are immigrants. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But um, and she. She learned to speak Nor- uh, English, obviously she spoke Norwegian, but she learned to speak English, but she never, ever learned to write it. She never wrote. Uh, she came over just after the war in 47. Wow. And uh, she never learned to write. And she used to get all of her phrases wrong. And, she, and that's she, why I keep on... I keep on. <laughs> and do you guys, have you got a family in Norway? Like, oh, do yes. You, oh, yeah. so do you We've got, got our amazing. family home over there. Oh, yeah, how yeah. amazing! We've got yeah. a beautiful summer house over there, which it's I go gorgeous. to as, as often as I can. Oh, but it's just a wee log cabin, so when it's cold, oh my it's God, not. It sounds amazing! Oh, it's amazing! It amazing. It we need to decide when we're going yeah. there. One of the our French. one of our podcasts was actually from there, and yeah. we, we sat in the sun. It was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. You could hear the birds, and that sounds beautiful. That sounds absolutely. You know, we all need our our refuge places to go to. To, um, yeah, and how? Do, I mean, what I just love to hear from you is how. I mean, look, it's it's stressful for as a performer. Just I'm only doing like I've only done ten days here, and it is wonderful, but it is like super stressful for yeah. the reason we talked about. How do you guys cope with all the? the you see, she's turning it around. Oh, yeah, I'm just curious. I'm curious because how two, do we? How do you cope with all the pressure of Edinburgh and all the? Well, I'm still learning how to cope because I mean, this is only my second year as as director and actually this year is the first year that I've properly taken over managing the entire team 
and that is very hard. It's very it's hard. It's very difficult because you have artists on one side saying, you know, with all of their issues, and then you've got the staff on the other side with all their issues, and you're the mediator in the middle. And, and we really have a new team. We had uh, more or less the same team for about nine years up until this year mm-hmm. and so but this is a team that Katie's picked they're younger they're they're very happy and very passionate and yeah. love the Gilded Balloon so there's there's pros and cons you know and it's yeah. about being steady and and you know yeah we know I've be. already lost my temper a couple of times I have to say <laughs> <laughs> and that is my Fine. reputation that you know Starting the Gilded Balloon, one of my um, reputations, as I say, is just being forceful and we've got to do this. No, what do you mean you can't do it? Of course you can do it and, you know, getting things done. But that was the way we did it then. But mm-hmm. we've grown so much bigger, yeah. you know, and now there's all these, um, what do you call it, Katie, that you do all the time? You have a staff handbook and you have... Staff structure and yeah, all but, these but what staff is it development stuff. No, but when you're... Health, oh not health and safety, but... Um, you know, when you have to look after the staff, what is the word? Human resources. Human yes. resources. HR. Yeah, HR. <laughs> yeah. I know nothing about it. I don't it. know anything about it either. But no, you do. You are brilliant. Katie is an absolute <clears throat> natural. The I, thing that I would say about how we cope, or how I'm coping at the moment, is because I just love it. Like, I, yeah. I, I, lo- I love it. I love seeing acts on stage having an amazing time, getting on with all the staff, getting on with the, you know, getting an amazing reaction from yeah. the audience. And it's about getting to that point and when we've got unhappy staff or unhappy um, artists, I just want to fix it. Yeah. And, there's not, and it's a really lovely feeling to come into a situation, find a solution with the staff and then make the artists happy. So I yeah. think it's problem solving and firefighting all over the place and I love it. Because I'm passionate about what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I, you can sort of see that from both you. Just and I've seen you out and about. Yeah. You know, normally, yeah. like a, I think that word passion is the thing. If yeah. you really, really care about what you're doing, if you're yeah. totally passionate about it, then you go that you always go yeah, the extra mile, exactly. don't you? you exactly. You'll do it. I think the do. problem with Katie and I, however, is that we are passionate and we are boss women, as this um, podcast is about. However. It's not so much about the finances and that we are not commercially driven. Do you know anyone? Do you know any good finance managers? (laughs) (laughs) But we're not. We're not commercially driven. We do. We do. The commercial side of it. We we are driven by our passion for the performer, for the staff, and therefore the tradition of the of the gilded balloon, the integrity, all that sort of thing. You know, there was a day when we used to get lots of sponsorship. Those days are gone. The bars get the sponsorship. We don't get the sponsorship. So the finances really, really pull us down. And mentally and physically that must be really really tough because as you say that that's where the competition bit yeah and that's that's where we're at the moment is that we're just we're pretty stressed out with where we where are we going how how are we going to survive in this kind of and how the fringe is changing because it is being dominated by certain venues and it's just how where does Gilda Balloon sit in it's actually being dominated by um, I have to be careful what I say here but dominated by men um, uh, men from down south that come up here and make their money yeah you know and it's that are there many other women like you at your level no not that run venues that we know of obviously the the 
CEO of the Fringe is, is a woman, woman yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of people that work in the industry are women. But yeah, but in terms of like doing the business end, of, yeah, yeah, there's not that's no. really interesting. Um, but we need benefactors or supporters, or you know, I mean that is the toughest. But thing. But I think it's you know it's such. <sighs> that's the one thing that I do think is a bit of a shame about the the festival because it is. I get you. Everything evolves and stuff. But one of the lovely, unique things about the Edinburgh Festival, and it was always thus, is that it wasn't a giant corporate mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> yes. trade fair. Well, the, whole point, the whole point of the Fringe was that it was on the fringe yes. of, the, of the corporate yes. beast that was yeah. the International yeah. Festival. And now yeah. the two things are yeah. just as... And I think... Well, was, funnily enough, the corporate beast that is the International Festival is starting to do fringe-type performance. Well, yeah, exactly. Know, it's least, like that feels like the international <coughs> side and that feels like the more fringy end of it. And I think it would be a shame if it became such a corporate entity mm-hmm. that... I mean, that's why I sort of love being at the Gilded Balloon because it, it doesn't feel like a big corporate... Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. It's definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Very much a family. My grandson (laughs) stands at the front door. And And that's how it feels. Like, it does feel like something, you know, much more bespoke and kind of, you know, quirky. and very good to hear. Well, yes, we care about every single person that comes through the door. And we don't always handle it well, but we try our very best to handle it well. Yeah. And, uh, That's what family does. Family. Yeah. <laughs> family. I mean, it, it upsets me that uh, money is the, you know, not root of all evil, but it drives everybody, you know. Yeah. It, it's, first you know, first because first. we are part of this corporate big four, as we're called, you know, Assembly, Pleasance, Underbelly and us. And we, you know, they have hundreds of venues. So we we just in a corner. <laughs> Hello, I here we are. <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> anyway, I think. And we'll every year I put the house on the line, and you know we do yeah, it all the time. And Katie, is actually inheriting my mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for what it's out. worth, thank you oh, for doing all this. Because honestly, as a as a performer, it is just it's such a privilege to come to the Gilded Balloon because you know there's so much history seeped in each stone of this building you know it's absolute sort of you know it's like you know it's 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 comedy um sort of central in terms of the festival and it's great well when you're prime minister (laughs) we expect you to come up here and play a little show for us because that's another thing that we do love is that we make you know, Tim Minchin, for example, if you, some people have, and he's not been here for a while, but he wrote Matilda and actually made, by coming to the Gilded Balloon for three years, he actually changed his whole life. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, he's coming on tour next year, I don't know if I've told you, but we are doing the tour in Scotland. Confirmed. It's confirmed. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so is he going to be up for the festival? Uh, no, he he's, do it's it? in November. Right, okay. Yeah. That's That's exciting. exciting. That's Bloody so exciting. So uh, next year, exclusive though. there for you. Yes, freaking global fast, global fast. But it is people like that who have made their name here, and yeah, no, they remember us. It's you know. creating relationships for life, isn't it? A lot and of then, that come and then, yeah. from the other end of the the scale, uh, the wonderful Sean Hughes, who died last year. You know, he started with the Gilded Balloon, mm. won his his comedy award, and. 
it is just so tragic that yeah. he's died so young, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was unbelievable. So, so, so sad. So sad, yeah. Also, you've got other great things, like, I mean... Henry Naylor's plays are always just. Did you go and see games? No, I'm going to see it today. Oh, I'm great! Great. I'm really excited about yeah. it. But I mean, that is just brilliant. You Such know, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's great to have that sort of. Camera. You have, oh, you have been absolutely wonderful. It's been a joy to have oh, you on. Thank you so much. I'm going to listen to. I'm going to watch every question time you're on. Yes, yes I'm going to be exactly. rooting for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be behind you. Saying, Come on, say it, say it. Go on. Show who's boss. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much.